journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. And we are tripping all the way to the end of the book of Bereshit. We're almost there. And we are just going to be discussing now the burial of Jacob. I'm so excited to be with you and um, I look forward to any comments or questions that you may have. Our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram number 061-895-1019. We have been going through all the blessings that Jacob gave his sons just before um, he passes away. And we're at the point now where he does pass on. If you are um, able to open up a Bible, we are looking at chapter 49 and we are looking at verse 29. Now, just before Jacob passes away, he gives all the blessings that he needs, the requisite blessings to his sons. And then he says the following verse 29, chapter 49. Vayitzav Otam, he commands them, he gives them instructions, Vayomer Alehem, and he says to them, Ani Ne'esaf Elami, I am going to be gathered unto my people, Kivru Oti El Avotai, please can you bury me, um, with my fathers, El Hamara Asherbuste, Ephron Hachiti, that cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. And he becomes very specific. He's saying it's the cave that's in the Machpela field. It faces Mamre in the land of Canaan. And Abraham bought it, um, bought the field from Ephron the Hittite as a burial plot. Shama kavru et Avraham, there, there, Avraham was buried, et Sarah Ishtoi and Sarah his wife, Shama kavru et Yitzhak, et Rivka Ishtoi, there was buried Yitzhak and Rivka, ve Shama kavarti et Leah, and that's where I buried Leah. Mikne hasadeh hamara ashebo me'etz b'nechet. Purchase was made of the field and its caves from the sons of Chet. Now you can really, really ask the question, Yes, yes, yes. We know all of that. If anybody is a scholar of the Bible and you have uh, been following me in learning the book of Bereshit, we know about the entire transaction that happened. Um, in fact, we read it in last week's Pasha. Okay, what happened between Abraham, money, 400 silver, uh, silver talents were paid for it, a huge amount in those days. Um, we acquired it. Avraham buried Sarah there, and then everybody got buried, save Rachel. Rachel got buried on the road. All of that is explained again in one of our previous podcasts. And now Yaakov is asking that he is taken and he is buried with his forefathers. So if we know all of that, a child knows that, why repeat it over and over again? Well, he really did have a good reason um, for giving his sons again a detailed uh, description because it was now 17 years since they had left Canaan and had come down to Egypt. And Yaakov was really worried and afraid that his sons had forgotten how the cave had come into their hand because 
you know, you leave, you, you leave, you leave, you leave, um, real estate for 17 years. It could have been the Kananim could have just started like living around there or taking possession of the cave. There was nobody to stop them. Um, and so it was necessary for him again to clearly define the boundaries of the property so that the brothers, Yosef and his brothers would be able to answer any complaints and hopefully not resort to war to gain uh, control of the cave. So, um, again, this is why he says there, Abraham, Ashekana, Abraham, etasade, met Ephron, hachiti, lachuzat, kever, that Abraham legally purchased it from Ephron, the Hittite, and he explains it like kever, that it was for a cemetery, it wasn't for agricultural use, um, and that if need be, they would have to produce the bill of sale, which clearly states that. Um, he was also very, very careful to tell his sons who was buried there, Abraham, Sarah, Yitzhak, Rivka, and Leah were all buried. And so there is a concept in Judaism called chazaka. It means if you do something more than three times, it gains a, a, a level of permanence. Okay, it's considered as if you know what you're doing. So if uh, Yishmael's heirs were present and they said, well, Abraham bought the cave and Abraham was our father, we also have an interest in, to, in it, Yaakov's sons could answer, well, we buried Yitzchak and Rivka in it. And since we're mentioning Yitzchak and Rivka, um, this is indicating that Yitzchak was the only true heir to Abraham and um and not any son that was born from Hagar or from Keturah. So Yaakov basically made it very clear again, and that's why he was so, so specific. Now, there is a lot of talk around um, the fact that, number one, he, wa- he wasn't buried straight away, and number two, that a burial of a tzaddik, a burial of a righteous person, is merely a formality, um, simply because we are we, we are we are told and we learn in our in, in our holy books that when a righteous person passes away, um, his body doesn't disintegrate and they really do not, so to speak, separate. So, so endure to endure together with their bodies. And they, they are considered alive even after death. So it really didn't matter where they would be burying Yaakov, really, in truth. Um, but he wanted to make sure that he would physically be found in the same place as his forefathers. So he gave him instructions to embalm him, which we're going to see um, like later on. And finally, before we get on to um, the actual physical um, burial, we must know and understand that Yaakov said to his sons that he wanted nobody but um, his sons to carry them. He says, I do not want anybody uncircumcised to carry my coffin because some had married Kananim. And he also gave instructions on how they should carry the coffin. So in the um, in the in the north was Dan Asher and Naftali. In the south of the of, of the coffin was Rubeh uh, and Shimon and Gad. 
On the west was Ephraim, Menashe, and Binyamin, and on the east, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zvulun. So if you hear what I've just told you, you will see that the only person who didn't carry the coffin was Yosef. Yosef was commanded to walk in front. He was a ruler, um, and he, 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 he was demanded to walk in front of the whole uh, funeral procession so that um, honor was accorded to him. Also, um, Levi is not mentioned here because his descendants um, would become Kohanim and they were destined to carry the Holy Ark, the Aaron Kodesh. So it was not proper for him to carry the Ark that contained the remains of of, of Yaakov. So he, there you have it. Yaakov gives one final instruction. He gives a complete detailed description of Marata Machpelah and how it was acquired. Um, and then he explains that um, they're allowed to embalm him. And then he tells them how it is that he, how his coffin needs to be taken back to, to Israel and the procession that it carried. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Chapter 49, verse 33. Okay. Yaakov Yaakov concludes his instructions to his sons. He gathers up his feet onto the bed. He expires and is gathered up to his people. Now, you can see here the language that Torah is using. It says he expired and he was gathered to his people. Um, the Midrash brings out that death is not the same for everybody. And we know from here that um, we get the precedent that tzaddikim do not die, that um, righteous people do not die, there might be a separation somewhat between their soul and their body, and uh, they do not function anymore through their body, but it's not a death um, as harsh as a normal human being. Now, what's interesting over here is that it says that he had to gather up his feet onto the bed. Our sages teach that at the time of death, one should not allow feet to be dangling over the end of a bed. Why? Because they, um, they, are, they are very negative forces. Some are called mazikim. Others are called mashchitim. Um, they're around these negative forces at time of death. And any part of the body that is exposed can suffer great torture. So our custom is that if anyone is near the bed of somebody who's newly deceased, we should make every effort to cover their body. We also have a custom of lighting a candle at the top of their head. So this is where the Torah teaches us that he gathered up his feet into his bed to teach that one's feet should be in the bed and covered. Now, just for some uh, numerical reference, Yaakov died in the year 2255. That's 1500 and six years before the common era, he died at the age of 147. And at the end, he actually saw incredible nachas. Um, some 
some sages say that his descendants increased until they numbered 300,000. Others say, no, it was 600,000 descendants when he died. That's an incredibly huge amount of kids. Um, he was destined to live uh, 175 years like Abraham, but he gave 28 years to King David. So that is the expiration, the passing on, the moving on of Yaakov Avinu. Now we're going to start chapter 50, looking in verse 1. Vayipol Yosef Aviv, Yosef fell on his father's face, Vayefkalav, and he wept on him, Vayishakla, and he kissed him. Vayitzav Yosef et Avadav, et Harofim, Lachanot et Aviv, Vayachantu Harofim et Israel, and then what he did is he called his servants, the physicians, to come embalm his father, and the, phys- the physicians came and they bombed, embalmed Jacob. So he asked them to reveal to them, and we know that the Egyptians, by the way, were very big into embalming and making mummies of everybody, okay, so, because they basically preserved the corpse. So they, they were told what to do, and in fact, um, it wasn't them directly that embalmed Yaakov, but rather Yaakov's sons did these elaborate baths for Yaakov's body, and they themselves embalmed their, um, their, their father. Now, why did Egyptians go around embalming themselves? Simply because they want to be preserved and not be, eat, not be eaten by vermin. Now, I'm going to be a little um, explicit over here uh, just to share with you how did they embalm, um, how do they embalm these mummies? Well, we are told that they would take the finest, finest balsam, they would mix it with various herbs and spices, and then they would soak the body inside and out with it. And the internal soaking, how do they do it internally? They would take this mixture and they would inject it into the abdominal cavity through the belly button so that it could soak into all the internal organs. And then the body would also be covered on the outside with this mixture from head to toe. And every day they would drain the abdominal cavity and they would re we put it like put in fresh stuff, and they did this every day, each and every day, um, and repeated it each and every day for forty days, and that um, apparently landed up um, preserving the body. So anybody who could afford it in Egypt, that was the way they got buried. Okay, some some others went and gave they gave other. Uh, other other, other uh, ways of embalming, which I'm not going to get into because it does get a bit gory, but um, that's what it that's what it entailed. That's how they mummified uh, the, the 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 aristocracy of Egypt. Now we know that until the body decays, the deceased cannot rest in peace. Um, but that being said. We know that this is only said about an average person, a person who has sinned, a person, we are told, who has a trait of jealousy, 
Um, because why? Because the body, um, the body and soul did this together, sinned together. And so if the soul goes up to heaven and gets punished, the body gets punished as well. And so that is the interplay that happens. So until the body completely decays in the grave, the soul doesn't leave it, leave it completely. But as we have said now previously in the beginning, that that is not true of tzaddikim, of saints. Their bodies can remain preserved for a very long time without getting wormy or decaying because their souls are not put through any, any anguish. And I think I've mentioned it before when we've spoken about the burial of other of the tzaddikim that in fact there have been stories and recent ones at that that I can mention. Um, I don't know all the details, but there were times where certain tzaddikim, certain holy people were exhumed from the cemeteries in Europe. I recall reading one such story. I don't remember the name of the person who was being exhumed, but when they exhumed him because they had to move his grave um, for 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 I think they were building there whatever they had to to move they had to move the grave and um, when they exhumed the body those that obviously we know that Jewish people are buried just in ordinary wooden coffins the coffin had fallen apart the body was as if the person had freshly passed away that very morning so. That is vitally important for us to know that that is how um, how saints move on. They're very much still connected to their bodies, and they don't go through the anguish anguish that a, a normal person suffers. Verse three of chapter fifty: Vayim leulo arbaim yom. Forty full days passed. Because that was the total number of days required for embalming. Um, and then Egypt wept for Yaakov a total of 70 days, which means that there was 40 days for the embalming. And then they had official mourning for 30 days. We kind of like had a bit of a taste of it now when our dear Queen of England passed on. We saw that uh, England went into mourning for 10 days. Here it was 30 days for Yaakov, but there were 40 days prior to that that they had to allow time so that um, they could embalm him correctly. And why, why, why did the whole of Egypt uh, mourn? Well, the answer is, is that they saw that when Yaakov came to Egypt, if you recall, there was blessing. The famine came to an end. The Nile overflowed upon his arrival. And so they themselves, the Egyptians themselves, felt the loss of Yaakov greatly. Then the days of Yaakov's mourning was over. Yosef spoke to Pharaoh's household, Lamor, saying, if I find favor in your eyes. Please speak into the ears of Paro and say, Avi Hispiani, my father made me take an oath, 
Lemor saying, Hine Anochimet, behold, I am going to die. Bekivri Asher Kariti Li Be'eretz Kanan Shama Tikbereni. That in the grave that I've dug for myself in the land of Egypt, that is where you have to bury me. Ba'ata and now, E'elena, I would like to go up. Ve'ekbara etavi, and I will bury my father. Ve'ashuva, and I will return. Well, there were significant things that happened on the day that Yaakov died. The, the most important was that the Egyptian exile for the Jewish people began in earnest. You can see that just simply by the way that um, the narrative is describing how Yosef spoke to Paro. He didn't go up to Paro. He had to subjugate himself to Paro. He, he lost all his early advantages where he could do whatever he desired, and he had to go and send a message through the personnel um, of Paroi, um, because he had lost certain privileges. Others say that he couldn't come before Paroi simply because he was in, still in mourning, and one was not allowed to seek a personal audience with with Paroi. So he sent he sent messages to the officials in charge of Paroi's house and asked them to convey his message. To Paroi. Now, if you look at the words kariti, that the words that Yosef uses to tell Paroi about Yaakov's oath, he says, "My father swore that what kariti li be'eretz kanan," and I translated it um, as the grave I had dug for myself. And our rabbis teach the word kariti can come from the word keri which means a pile, and basically what he was saying was that Yaakov said, bury me in the grave for which I made a pile. Meaning what? He says, I made a huge heap of money, and I used it to pay for the grave. What was Paro's response? Vayome Paro, Paro says, Ale, go up. Go bury your father in the manner that he made him swear. And we're told in the Midrash that in fact Paro at first did not want to give Yosef permission to leave Egypt to bury his father. He demanded initially that Yosef should annul his oath. And you know how Yosef got around him? Yosef responded, okay, but if I do that, then I will also annul the oath that I made to you not to reveal the fact that you did not know Hebrew. If you recall, um, Paroi considered himself a god. And um, according to Egyptian law, a king needs to know every language in the world. When he met Yosef initially, they had this whole big spiel and they, he didn't know Hebrew, and he told Yosef to promise that he would tell nobody. So now Yosef uses that trump card. Okay, I will annul the vow for my father. I won't bury him, but I will also annul the vow to tittle-tale on you. And when Paro heard this, he immediately gave his permission. Why? Because he was afraid that Yosef would reveal his ignorance 
And if he, if it was found out that there was a language that he did not know, he would have been impeached. Vayal Yosef, we look at verse 7 and 8 now. Vayal Yosef Ligboret Aviv. Yosef went up to bury his father. Vialu ito kol avde paro. Who came with him? All the servants of Paroi. Zikne Beito, all the elders of his household. Vechol Zikne Eretz Mitzrayim, all the elders of Egypt. Vechol Beit Yosef Ve'echav. There was all of Yosef's household. His brothers. Ubeis Aviv. And his father's household, Rak Tapam Betsonam Bekaram Azvu Be'eretz Goshen. The only things that were left behind were his young, were the young children, the sheep and their cattle. They left all of that in the land of Goshen. So now it seems a little bit redundant why the Torah wants to mention that they left their children, sheep and cattle behind. Okay? Obviously nobody's taking their, 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 their cows. And their sheep to a funeral. But the Torah tells us this, that when Yaakov died, the sons turned around to Yosef and said, let us go back. Let's leave Egypt permanently. And they set out. They started setting out with their whole households and all their possessions. They wanted to go back to the land of Egypt. <coughs> Excuse. And Paroi refused them permission to leave. And he made them leave their children and their livestock as hostages to ensure their return. Right. Vayal imo gam rechev gam parashim vayhi hamachane kaved meod. Not only did you have all the aristocracy of, uh, of Egypt and the who's who and the what's what, but there was also all sorts of weapons that were taken. Why? Just in case Asav would come and challenge his right for the burial place. And so what did he take? A chariot brigade, okay? They didn't have tanks in those days, and I guess they had infantry. They had a chariot brigade, they had horsemen, and we are told, This was a very, very imposing camp. It was very, very big. It was very, very large. It was the who's who. And now this entire camp, um, which I'm going to describe after the break, was moving with Yaakov's coffin back to the land of Israel. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. So let me give you a bit of a description about this, this procession. Okay, as, as we said, it was a very imposing camp. Great honor was given to it. We're told that even on high, um, there was visible a cloud that accompanied Jacob's coffin. And some say that the divine presence was evident there. And in fact, we're also told in the Midrash that Yaakov, I'm sorry, that Paroi gave orders by saying, whoever does not participate in Yaakov's funeral with Yosef um, and his brothers, they will be put to death. So what had basically happened was all of Egypt's aristocracy joined the procession, and when the people of Canaan heard of Yaakov's death, they came to Egypt, and so this funeral procession just grew and grew. We're also told, interestingly, that Yaakov's coffin was made of gold. It was encrusted with jewels and covered with royal vestments, and at the head of the coffin was a large crown 
and that, again, the brothers carried them in the order that they were told. All the um, Egyptian aristocracy that walked, that, that, that was joining the processions, they wore their best clothes. It said they walked armed for war, and they walked ahead of the coffin weeping and mourning. Then there was Yosef, who walked directly in front of the coffin, and then the rest of the people surrounding him, barefoot and clothed in sackcloth. Uh, we're also told in the Midrash that there were 50 servants circulating amongst the procession. They carried all sorts of perfumes, and they also kept space open so that the people could walk without pressing against each other. And this was the way this procession proceeded until they reached the land of Canaan. One cannot help but think um, and understand or picture in one's mind what this procession should look like. Not too hard because we've just watched with our own eyes um, how the queen was brought to burial. One could just imagine that the same happened with Yaakov Lahavdium. Now, when they arrived, all the kings of Canaan, um, along with the sons of, Yish, of Asaph, Yaakov's brother, Yishmael, which was um, uh, basically Yitzhak's half-brother, Keturah, they all came to wage war against them. But it says that when they saw Yosef's crown hanging from Yaakov's coffin, they realized that they had no hope, that such a battle would be completely futile. And what they did was rather they dismounted from their horses, they took off their crowns, and they too hung it on Yaakov's coffin. So we are taught that by the time uh, Yaakov's coffin arrived at Marat HaMachpela, there was in fact 16 crowns hanging from Yaakov's coffin, surrounded and surrounding it as, as if it was a sheaf of wheat surrounded by thorns. We're also told that these guys, these kings of Canaan and, and sons of Ishmael and Keturah and Asaph, they all removed their belts. They took their arms out of their sleeves so that they were all bare-shouldered. And this is how they, how it looked. Now if we look at verse 10, Vayavo el Gorin ha'atad. They come to a place called Gorin Ha'atad, which is translated in my Chumash as the Bramble Barn. Okay, the Gorin Ha'atad, which is on the far side of the Jordan, the Yispedusham Misped Gadol. And over there they made a great imposing funeral, the Kaved Me'od. It was, it was, it was, it was really, really huge. And that's where Yosef spent Seven days in mourning, where the Midrash tells us that even the donkeys and the horses mourned. Vayar Yosef Haaretz Haknani Etaever Begorin Haatad. The Canaanites who lived in the land then saw the mourning in this place, Gorin Haatad, this bramble barn, and they said, Vayomru Evel Kaved Zele Mitzrayim. This is a severe mourning, even for the whole of Egypt. Alken Karashama, and so they called this place Avel Misraim, the Egyptian mourning. Hashem Everhayadin, this was on the far side of the Jordan. So they, um, they, 
they realized that this was really, really a very, very big thing. Okay. Um, and in a sense, the question that they were really asking is why are they making a funeral now? They could have had a funeral in Egypt where Yaakov died or in Hebron where he was going to be buried. Why are they making a funeral here in the middle of the country? And then they said, well, this looks like it's a severe mourning from Egypt. And they, there was a, the mourning was severe because a great saint was now leaving the boundaries of Egypt. And when one, when a saint leaves a place, so does his merit. We had, we've spoken about this before. There's the example of Rabbi Elazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We're told by him when he died, you remember those two had such a great merit that not a, um, Rainbow was seen in the entire lifetime. So when Reb Elazar died, his townsmen didn't want him to be buried elsewhere. And we're told there that, his, that he remained in his hometown for 22 years. And because they kept the, bo- the body of Reb Elazar there, um, during that time, no, no vicious beast was found there. So these Kanani kings worked out the fact that um, Egypt was in severe mourning and as they crossed over the boundary the mourning got even even worse. Why? Because now that Yaakov's body had left the land of Egypt it did expose them um, to negativity because, because while he was alive his merit sustained a lot of blessing in the land of Egypt. We're also told that of all the Egyptians who joined Yaakov's funeral possession, none of them died, neither did they become ill or experience any pain during that year, and that was because they had an enormous amount of merit um, for participating in his funeral. And um, Yaakov's sons did to him as he instructed them. What does that mean? That, that they carried themselves out and did not allow anybody else to touch his, to touch his coffin. Now we are going to come to a point of argument. Okay. Vayisu otobanav atza Canaan. So they carried him to the land of Canaan. Vayikburu otobamaharas dehav machpela. And they buried him in the cave of the field of the Machpelah field. Ashekana Avraham et Asadeh la'achuzat kever. The one that, Avra, that Avraham had purchased as a field for burial property. Um, from whom et Ephron achiti alpene mamre. That um, they bought for a field of prop, um, for a burial f- field from Ephron the Chitach. You could see that again, the Torah is repeating and corroborating what it was that uh, Yaakov had told him, like all the legalities about it. But we're told in the Midrash a very, very interesting story that when they came to the Machpelah cave, Asaph came and he tried to stop them and he said, "Look." This place is called Kiryat Arba. Now, for anybody who knows Israel, who's been around, you'll know that if you go to Hebron, there is a settlement there called Kiryat Arba. And Kiryat Arba means the village of four. And the reason why it's got the name the village of four is because Hebron was in the area of Kiryat Arba. And Kiryat Arba, meaning village of four, means that there were four couples, couples to be buried there. 
Okay? Now, what? who was interred in the cave already? There was Adam and Eve, and that's something that nobody knows, that whenever you go to Hebron, you're actually visiting the gravesite of the first man and woman of the world. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely amazing. So there's Adam and Eve, there's Avram and Sarah, there's Yitzchak and Rivka, and there are two graves that were remaining. One was Leah, and so Asaph come Asaph. Asaph comes up to them and goes, right, there's one space left, and you need to divvy that up. Okay, um, because, you know, Yaakov and I were brothers. And since you put, what's the name in there? You put Leah in there, this remaining grave is mine. To which, obviously, the sons replied, but Yaakov bought it from you. Asaph argued back, not really, all I sold. Your father was my birthright, it's, and, and the right to the double portion belongs to the firstborn. This portion I sold him, but I am still Yitzhak's son, and I still deserve at least an equal portion. And they started arguing with him, no, you sold everything, you did not retain any rights whatsoever to the cave. Went backwards and forwards, and eventually they went and said, show me the bill of sale. And sadly, the brothers said, we can't because we left it in Egypt. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So when they realized that <laughs> they didn't have the bill of sale, they were really, really worried because they needed to show them the actual title deed. That's what it was. Guess who they chose? We mentioned it last week, they chose Naphtali. Naphtali was given the blessing, you remember, to be as fast as a gazelle. They told him, run as swiftly as a deer and go and fetch this um, title deed, which off he went. In the meantime, while they were waiting for Naphtali to return, one of Dan's sons, whose name was Khushim, who was deaf, says to his uncles, why are you waiting? Why aren't we bearing granddad, Yaakov? Okay, he did not hear the debate that was going on between Asav and his uncles. And he, he got really cross, and he went and said, how can you let grandfather lie here without, without being buried until Naphtali comes from Egypt? It's a disgrace. And Asav was standing there arguing, and with that he took his staff, and we're told that he smashed Asaph on the head so hard that his eyes fell out um, and uh, he was basically decapitated. So what we know from this now was that, in fact, Yaakov and Asaph, they didn't die on the same day, but 77 days later, they were buried on the same day. Asaph's, um, Asaph's children were absolutely horrified um, but what happened at the end was that the head of Asaph was buried in near the Machpelah cave and his body was taken and buried in Mount Seir. We were told also, by the way, that when Yaakov buried, was buried in the cave, the people smelled the fragrances of Gan Eden and they were allowed to perfume the cave in honor of Yaakov. So there you have it. We have Adam, Eve, Sarah, Abraham, Yitzchak, Rivka, Leah, and Yaakov buried in that cave. 
We are going to probably be finishing up next week, but for the meantime, we have to call it a day. Time runs out when you're so engrossed in quite the fascinating story. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you have a Shavuot of a wonderful week ahead. This is Adel Kozilski, and this is 101.9 High FM.